Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Uh, we recorded this show right when I got off the plane uh, near Lago Maggiore at the Icaro factory with Christian Check. Uh, Manfred was there working on gliders, uh, and I've been promising we've been doing more. We will be doing more hang glider shows, and this is one of them. To be honest with you, though, that was before the X-Alps, several weeks before the X-Alps, and this is now I'm recording this opener post X-Alps, about a week after the X-Alps, and I am still pretty foggy, so I don't totally remember what Christian and I talked about. I know we talked about comps and techniques and uh, getting in the right headspace and a lot of different very interesting things. We also recorded this at the Icaro factory, so there's quite a bit of sound in the background and people were working and making gliders and telephones were ringing and stuff, but I thought that was kind of uh, appropriate and cool, but there will be some noise in the background, but I don't think it'll bother you too much. And uh, yeah, I know many of you want to hear more about the X-Alps. I know you only get you know a certain taste of it from the stories and from the, uh, the live tracking, which I understand this year was awesome. I didn't get to watch that too much, obviously, in the race, but I understand it was really great. They did an awesome job with that, but uh, I will save that for another show. I'm working on a video of... Uh, some of the highlight footage from the various days. I took quite a bit of footage and uh, one day I was flying with Toby and he had a whole video crew with him and they had a drone and a bunch of stuff. So I'm waiting on that. I'll get that up shortly and I've got a blog post that I've been working on. And the next show that you'll will release in two weeks is uh, <clears throat> I did this a series of questions, kind of the same questions with a whole bunch of the team. So Still got a few more of those to wrap up. I'm actually talking to Kriegel and Patrick today and a few others, and then we'll put that that together just to get their thoughts post-race. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy that. Uh, that's a pretty fun way to get an insider's view on, on how it all went down. The race was epic. It was epically hard. I think I did 525K on the ground and 11 and some odd days when it ended. So, uh, yeah, rough, tough race, but... Great flying conditions for a bunch of it. Uh, almost no flying conditions for the last few days with all that heat wave that hit Europe and the stability. So super challenging, very, very fun as always. Uh, the last couple of days totally crushed me, which was uh, which was when that heat was just, that took it out of me. But uh, yeah, so it's nice to just chill here and be in Europe. I'll be here for the next little more than a month and I'm uh, lining up a bunch of interviews with some great pilots over here. So stay tuned for more awesomeness from the show. And uh, in the meantime, please enjoy this great conversation with a real hanging legend, Kristen Check. Christian, it's so awesome to have you on the show. It's great to be able to do it here live in the factory. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to be as articulate as normal because I'm really jet lagged just getting off the plane yesterday. Uh, but fantastic to see you in your in your place here at the at the where it all happens. Uh, this is this is the spot. So 
I thought we're maybe we a fun place to start. We'll, we'll get into your history and comps and strategies and all those kind of things we were just talking about before we started recording. But um, I thought it'd be fun to start with a story of flying. What's a when you think about your decades of flying? What's what's one that you dream about still at night? Something that still uh, you look back on and kind of epitomizes your your passion for flight. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I'm very surprised you you're gonna be you stay here now because i was watching you uh, along the alaska during the alaskan trip and the rocky trip was amazing what you you're doing um about my history is a little bit more simple than yours but it was very um enthusiastic it was a very uh, amazing story because i was flying a normal uh, cross-country flight and uh, when I was uh, along the balloon, I don't know if you know the Harps. I guess you know because yeah, you're yeah, gonna, sure. you're gonna run the Red Bull stuff. So um, I was near balloon and I was climbing into a thermal. And uh, after a few seconds, I saw a big eagle coming much lower than me. Uh, I didn't know it was a eagle. I just saw a big bird coming into the thermal. And he started climbing, and uh, as soon as they got close to me, I realized it was a eagle, a young eagle, because of the white spot on the wings. And instead to just uh, pass me and go away, he started to stay in the thermal with me, uh, and he was flying on the right, on the left, on the top. He was wow. just studying me, and it was something really strange. And then something unbelievable uh, happens, because... Instead to just fly away, I said, it come behind, uh, below my wing, just a couple of meters below my wing, and it come into my space because it was in, into the, the wing, not, uh, not uh, outside the, the wind tip, just below the wing, a couple of meters below. And it was flying uh, towards me. Oh, wow, say. yeah. And when it was about one meter, and I said, okay, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> It just make a sort of wing over and, and uh, it, flew, it, flew, wow. it flew away. It was really impressive. As you say, my hair. Yeah, still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that was near here. Uh, Belluno is quite far from here because I was living in, um, in Trentino. I'm coming from Trentino. Okay. I born in Trentino and I was flying there, my home area. It was uh, impressive. That it's is a, really impressive. Is, uh, the story that... Uh, I like better. Oh, wow. There was a time in, in Alaska after after Dave left, and uh, it was really quite late in the evening. I had sat up on this launch all day, and it was blowing over the back, and it was you know not launchable, so I just spent the day throwing rocks at my shoes and stuff, and finally was able to fly and got a nice flight, maybe 40K, and then landed, and I realized, ah, I think I can still make a little bit of distance because in Alaska, it's not it never gets dark, you know, and so I ran up this little hill and there was quite a bit of wind going the way I was going. I launched and kind of ridge soared and finally kind of got out and flew not far, 10K, and then there was a huge glacier, massive, and I thought, oh, I really need some height to get across this because the glaciers look okay, but to land is not good, you know, and I, and I was just, uh, it was late and there wasn't really any thermals and I thought, oh, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I can make it. I was just kind of soaring. And uh, this eagle came out of a tree literally right where I was soaring. I hadn't seen him, and he came out, and it was like he was just like, okay, 
come on, I'll help you, you know, and just got a little tiny bit of lift. And then we both flew across the glacier wow. together. It was like he knew where I was going. And then just as we got across, he was, okay, see you. It was, a, that was amazing. I think so. they know. <laughs> so tell me about Ikaro and, and your history here. And uh, because I, we did this show on the history of hang gliding that was fascinating. And from what I understand, in kind of the late 70s, there were just dozens and dozens of manufacturers and now it's really you and Wills and a couple others, and it's really trimmed down. And uh, so that I, it's, I feel very privileged to be here. Yeah, the market is very small for hand gliding now. Uh, unfortunately, they say that <clears throat> there are there are very few schools, hand gliding school uh, schools around the world. Mm. So this is why so many factor factories uh, are not here anymore. And Hikaro started to produce sand gliding in 1975, mm. and I arrived here in 2001, so it's uh, 18 years that I'm here. And uh, I was flying Hikaro since uh, 91. Okay, 91. wow. So, okay. Kind of you're, you're loyal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I started flying in 88, and probably I started flying because my father was a pilot, an glider pilot. He started when Ikro opened the same because he started flying in '75. Mm. I was four on that time, uh, and since he started flying, I always follow him around the, the takeoff and landing, and probably the passion came from there. Was he was he real instrumental in teaching you as well, or was he more reserved? No, I was a lot reserved. Yeah, uh, I I start flying in '88, but. My father wasn't so happy. Yeah, <laughs> it it teach me something when I was fourteen, but just some training hill. And um, when I start flying, uh, unlikely it stops because he said the uh, two pilots in the family are too much. Mm. So did it make your mom nervous? No, really. Uh, I guess it's because he was kind of uh, anxious. Yeah. My father was kind of anxious. He never really uh, learned to properly take off, let's say, also. Mm. It was, when, he be, when he began to, to, to fly, there was no instruction. Sure. Uh, everybody started by themselves. Uh, who, has, who had more experience was teaching to the others, but uh, it, it was not easy. And um, my father lost uh, many friends because at the beginning of the history of hand gliding, many accidents happened. And so I guess this is why I stopped when I, when I started. Mm. So we had do, only... Do you have any siblings? Do you have any brothers and sisters? I have two sisters. Okay. They, they don't fly. Okay. Um, and I had only <clears throat> a couple of flights with my father together. And I remember one because it was a Hauptum flight, very smooth condition. And uh, since then... I had some problem, let's say, on landing. I was kind of nervous on landing. I had something like uh, six months of flight on that time. And flying with him, just uh, with him in front of me, and approach landing with him, it was some, something really relaxed, let's say. Mm. And uh, I, I guess I learned something uh, that helped me after the, the, the next flight. And did he fly competitions and that kind of thing too, eventually? No. Okay, does no. he still fly? No, he's not. He's not here anymore. Yeah, so. I'm sorry. Yeah. And he stopped flying when I started. So. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. 
It just made him too nervous. Yeah, we we, we made very few flights together, a couple, as I said. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, when did you get serious about it? When did it? it was it right away? You just were like fascinated and crazy about it, or did it take some time? Uh, it didn't take time. It was <laughs> it was so many years that I was waiting to fly. That uh, it was natural that I have to fly because mm -hmm. my father was flying for. 13 years before, before I started and uh, on that time I, I was just waiting that my father said okay you can go and as soon as I had the age 16 years I started the cruise and I started flying and it was what I have to do mm -hmm. and how did it how did the competitions and all that start going was that just kind of the natural progression I would say yes because um I was interested in cross-country flights, uh, and in my area, only few pilots, very few pilots, made uh, was made, making cross-country flights. And so many times, I just bomb out somewhere by myself uh, with nobody to compare. And they said uh, there is no way to improve in this way. So I guess I have to start some, to make some competition, and uh, and this is why I started. And uh, the reason to, 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 to improve, to, to learn. And uh, as far as I get this uh, um, approach to the competition, still now, or also now, this is the, the best way I can approach a competition. Because if I come to the competition with the, the spirit of learning something, normally I get the, better, the best results. Mm. So we're going to talk about yeah, the, kind of the mental side of, yeah. of the game. But how many world championships have you won now? Uh, three. Okay. Like two with the rigid and one with the flex. Okay. And one European championship with the flex. So for the paragliding pilots that listen, describe the difference. Uh, the rigid wings uh, are uh, the the class five. I'm flying. I was flying. Uh, are controlled like a hang glider, standard hang glider, but the movement instead of uh, um, shift your body, you just move the hyaluron or the spoiler. Okay. Um, and so this this makes the, the wing turning. Mm -hmm. So you move your body on the right, and the right spoiler uh, open, and then the, the right the, the, the wing turn on right. Mm. On the flex wing, when you make the right movement, you have a your body, your weight goes to the right, and so you have a more deformation on the right wing than on the left, and so you have the turn. And so this is a totally different category when you when you guys fly in the, in the championships. It's it's you have the rigid or the flex. You you choose. Do you yeah, have yeah. do you have a do you have a favorite? Yeah, yeah the flex. The yeah, flex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not flying the rigid anymore. Okay. Uh, I made a couple of a uh, couple of uh, world championships, some other competition. Uh, I was flying rigid uh, all the 2002, uh, but then uh, the market for for Icaro was not so interesting, so uh, we stopped producing the rigid wing. I, we we were producing rigid rigid wings too, mm -hmm. but now we produce only flex. Wings. And is is that is that pretty much the the world over? Is it just is it just flex pretty much now? No, no, uh, the rigid are not older technology, but uh, the the market is smaller, the pilots are less, mm. so there is less interesting for us to, to be in the market, on that market. Um, 
when we did the the show on the history of it, uh, um, a couple of the guests were talking about that they they really felt like to get more people interested in the sport, they needed to spend more time on you know that that these gliders that are so hot and you know high aspect and really fun to fly and the competition end of gliders, you know they're not very accessible to newer pilots and they needed to spend more time on wings that were fun but easier much easier to learn and not as dangerous I guess, uh, but more inviting to the the newer pilots is that. How how does how has Icaro approached that? Uh, we have um, um, a wide range of uh, kind of uh, wings we produce because we produce uh, wings for beginners and for competition pilots, um, and likely uh, in uh, almost all country now there is also the sport class competition for pilots that don't don't have such a big experience like uh, the the top pilots, let's say, and so. Approaching the competition on hang gliding is, is possible for everyone because you can approach a sport class competition even with a, with a beginner glider. Uh, so there is no reason to say that you cannot approach the competition because you are not uh, you don't have the, the, the right experience. Mm. And uh, also the competition hang glider, we are always working. It's true that they are more less accessible for everyone. But we are always working to get uh, better and easier um, wings to fly. Mm. So, for instance, the, the competition angler of today are easier than the competition angler of 2000. So, is it is it similar to paragliding in that you know every year there's these little tiny breakthroughs and to really be competitive you've got to have the best glider that year i mean is it is it the kind of thing where or can you can you survive and compete on the glider from four years ago uh, you can let's say that the, the development of uh, angliders wing, uh, wings are not so fast as the the paraglider mm. Uh, let's say that a uh, model of last year or two years are still competitive, and uh, every year we try to do something better. But yeah, it's a long process. Sure. So uh, I just read uh, one a uh, way uh, a way to say an American way to say. Uh, it is the arrow. It's not the arrow, but it's the Indian. <laughs> <laughs> I like but it. But you should. You, you must have a good arrow. So yeah. Okay. Got you. So let's talk about the Indian. Um, the was there was there a moment in your competition career that you look back on? It was really defining in terms of something clicking, something kind of okay. I'm I'm figuring this out, or has it just been a constant kind of? It's always the education because I I've found competitions to be quite. Uh, you know you have. You have your mantras, discipline, whatever it is, you know. To, but it's uh, you had like a breakthrough moment that helped you uh, kind of under like put the pieces together to get the goal fast. Yeah, maybe um, because I was kind of uh, uh, pilots that was tend to fly by by himself. Mm. Uh, I was watching the others, but. As soon as I get my line and my uh, my idea, I just was flying on, on that direction. Uh, 
And then I realized that it wasn't working so well. Most of the time, the, the, the leading guy goal is he knows something more than you. Mm. And so I started flying a different way. I started to fly more with the goggle, uh, wait uh, to understand uh, how what's going on during the day. And uh, at the beginning, I just left everybody if I could. And I didn't wait anybody from the beginning of the flight. And now it's different. Now I tend to stay, I try to stay with the, the best pilots during the flight. And uh, if during the flight it's possible to leave them, then I try. But it's something that has to work by, by, by himself. Mm. I didn't try to leave the leading gaggle. It must be the, the gaggle that goes away. How, how, do you, how did you, um, how have you adapted to, as I understand in hang gliding, they, you know, they used to very much be start gates uh, and they, they've changed things now to, to really give you a lot of lead points. So, and then typically like in Italy, I understand Gary was telling me this when we drove up that it's the, you know, a lot of times there's just one, you know, more like a paragliding race now. Um, how did you adapt to that change? Uh, I like the, the situation better now than before, because before it, it was more, most of the time it was just a, a matter of waiting. If you have enough patience to wait to be the last to take off or to la the last to leave the, the gate, you probably win the, the, the day. Mm. It was not nice because you were waiting that the condition blow away, disappear, and, and so it was not nice. Mm. Now, with, with, the kind, with the leading eagle, we are forced to, to fly in the best condition, in the best possible condition. And everybody tried to do that. So I like this situation better and... I guess he, I didn't, he didn't uh, need a big adaptant because it was the way everybody uh, hoped to fly. Mm. Um, where's your favorite place to fly? Dolomites. Uh, really? Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your favorite place to have a competition as well? Uh, yes, maybe. Yeah. Uh, there are many good places for a competition, but uh, in, in the Dolomites we have only, uh, only few. But the Dolomites are amazing. I, I, I didn't visit all the, the planets, but uh, I went in several different countries. And the scenery that you have in the Dolomites uh, is it's also because it's accessible. Mm. It's not really, it's not like Alaska, you know. <laughs> you can be on, uh, on by yourself uh, into the mountain and just in half an hour flights, you, you are on the ground, uh, on a civil place. Uh, so it's easy, it's easy to fly and uh, the scenery is amazing. When I, I, I just spent... Uh, Let me ask you, what's, which one is your favorite? I like it's home, fun. where I live in Sun Valley. Yeah, it's 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 hard because um, it, we're, we, we often get battered by the jet stream. And so, you know, like this last summer, we had one week that was just, unbelievable like as good as it gets and the rest of the summer was terrible so 
you, you just, you don't get the hours there like you do in the Alps. Cause even when, the, even when the weather's not great in the Alps, you can usually go fly, you know? And I think that's why the pilots here are just so good because there's one, there's so many more pilots. And so you're getting so much more feedback and you can learn much quicker, but you know, at home there's four or five of us, you know, that, that really chase the cross country because it's pretty strong. It's pretty big air. You fly with oxygen in the summer and stuff. Um, but boy, when it's good, it's, magnificent it's beautiful mountains and it's really strong um you know king mountain for you guys is famous hang gliding site and it's a really special place you know the big lost is that chain that will gad and i flew in the rockies you know it goes all the way to south america and all the way to alaska it's a big chain of mountains so um yeah i, I like where i live but it is inconsistent it's tough we, we just we, we deal with a lot of wind it used to be a big hang gliding area and it's the same as other places that you just don't see them anymore, but it would be, I'm really tempted to get into hang gliding cause you can just deal with more wind. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's, um, I, I, it would be a magnificent place to hang. Have you ever flown King? Have you, did you no. ever do a comp out no. there? Yeah. Cause they used to have a lot of comps and they don't anymore, but the, you know, the sailplanes still fly there. Um, the Big Lost is the next range over from where I live. It's called the Big Lost Range, and it's, yeah, it's pretty magnificent. So I was just down, I was just watching the Super Final, and, uh, which happened down in Brazil, and it was really interesting to study the track logs and uh, to afterwards, you know, the 10 days of racing, whatever it was, that, that to, to see the consistency of the, the guys and the girls that ended up kind of in the top 10 or the top five. And it, it's very often I see, you know, the names are the same, uh, not always, but you know, in, in the big races, you see, uh, the, you see the kind of the same folks. Um, what are, what are you guys that are consistent like that? What is, what is the, what are the keys there? Because what I also noticed there was there, they're the rabbits, you know, there's the guys that can really fly fast and they're, they, they have a very good chance of winning a task, but Typically, it doesn't work out for them very well uh, at the end. You know, they're 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 breaking too much. They're like you said, going out on their own too much. Uh, you know, they're not is what Russ Ogden would call they're they're not as disciplined. Yeah, sometimes when you fly, uh, when you you are the rabbits, if uh, everything works well, you don't have the uh, the depth time mm. that you you have on, on, on a gaggle sometimes in the gaggle you have the the waiting time that uh, uh, everybody everybody every, everybody apply when you get on the top of the lift everybody is waiting the others and uh, they wait that somebody leave the, the terminal uh, so if the gaggle is not good you have a lot of waiting time mm. compared to a rabbit you are out <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. but uh, the rabbit has a uh, less high probability risk. high risk less probability to find the thermal and the gaggle mm, works better mm -hmm. if the gaggle is good and it works good it's very fast yeah. you cannot deal uh, with them mm -hmm. uh, why why the pilots are always the same uh, it's difficult to say i mean they are focused on what they are doing and um, I guess the, the good pilots are the pilots that are flying the condition they find. I mean, 
when you are you are in takeoff, you look at the sky and you say, okay, today the day is this, and you imagine the condition you're gonna fly, the thermal you're gonna find, and uh, you are expecting something. But then, as soon as you get in air, maybe the conditions are different than what you were expecting. So having a big expectation also in uh, towards the, the the conditions is always a, a risk. Mm. You have to adapt to yourself to the condition, not vice versa. It doesn't work on the other way. So you have to fly the condition you find and not the condition you like to find. And the good pilots, I guess, they have this kind of uh, mentality. They work, they know the condition, they can read the, the, the sky very well, but uh, most of that, more than that, they, they can fly the condition they find. So it's... I guess it's this is the reason. When, when you look back at your success and you, the the things you've learned, are that were there are there areas that um, that you studied or that you uh, really delved into that you you feel were um, fruitful that that you did, that like studying meteorology, for example, or reading books or or finding a mentor and learning from them are there are there anything that really stands out that you, you know that you you really spent some time in uh that that bore fruit uh yeah i spent a lot of time especially at the beginning to read the uh, um meteorolo- meteorology meteorology yeah. <laughs> books and uh and also experience of other pilots on books uh and I guess uh, I had the possibility to fly with uh, some good pilots at the beginning and uh, also then the competition, of course. Uh, but let's say that I guess it's more uh, the, the mentality that you uh, improve with the, the competition, with the experience that works, especially for me now. Uh, but yes, of course, at the beginning I was reading... Uh, reading uh, Quite a lot. Do you have any recommendations? Oh, old books? Yeah. I don't know if you're going to find them. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, got, uh, I Visitatori al Cielo. Okay. Is uh, that not the name in, in, in English. Okay. The uh, Sky Visitors, but I don't know if there is a, a, an English version. Okay. Uh, that was nice because it was um, joining the, the, the theory to the practical, to the experience of some pilots. Plinio mm. um, Westy was a book that I was, was reading at the beginning, but it was tough. Glossary. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And some, I find, uh, I, I found at the beginning, I really be- beginning, I was finding some uh, uh, print, photocopy, mm. uh, copy of mm-hmm. some uh, pilots from my era. So one of the things, Christian, that I've been really trying to think about a lot because I, I haven't been flying competitions like World Cup for very long, um, but the, the, with the X-Alps, it's just so consuming. I don't have a lot of time, but this last year I flew quite a few comps and I was trying to find that kind of perfect headspace for, you know, relaxed enough, but also serious enough you know, where, where I was you know, spending the time in the morning with the meteorology and, uh, you know, being, being disciplined in the air, 
but also I, I have personally, I have found that my best flying is when I'm very relaxed, you know, so if you're really serious, you get kind of tense and how, how do you, how do you approach, uh, and I know that this is individual for everyone, but when you go to a comp these days, where do you want to be and how do you get there in your mind? I need a order. I mean, uh, you need an order. Order. Okay, you, you uh, have a sequence of things that you do. Not really order in my mind. Ah, okay. Uh, when I when I make a good competition is because uh, uh, everything works in a good order, mm. and uh, every choice is made because something uh, uh, I did before. Mm. Uh, when I don't have this order in my mind, uh, every, everything goes wrong. Mm. Uh, like a, a sort of confusion, let's say. Um, when I fly well, it's because uh, uh, there is a, a kind of sequence that works in my mind, and that's work. Do you do you have um, do you have any kind of preparation that you do to try to get into that, or is that just something that happens Mentally, naturally? Not really. Huh. Uh, but uh, physically, yes, I try to to be prepared physically because, especially in gliding, uh, the physical part it's important. Uh, let's say that you, if you, if you have the possibility to fly a lot, especially in competition, you don't need to do much more. But uh, especially here, that in winter we don't have a very good condition to fly, and uh, you have a long rest. Let's say you you, you can fly, but you make something like 10 minutes flight each. Uh, so you need to, to be prepared for, for the spring and for the competition because um, it, it's, it's true that uh, in gliding is not like running or bicycle or something like that, where the physical part is really dominate, dominating, they say. But uh, the preparation, the physical preparation helps you to get a, a clear mind when you are in flight. Mm. If you are tired, you cannot make the, the right choice. Your friend and partner that's uh, behind us working right now, Manfred Rumor, uh, who I'll hopefully get on the show here at some point as well. And, and again, I might, my lack of knowledge with hang gliding here, but I understand that, you know, if, if there was a comparison, he's kind of the Kriegel in our world, uh, of the, of your sport and has been, you know, he's the kind of the, the, the guy to beat yeah, sure. typically. Um, what have you, what, why, what, what's he doing differently? And, and what do you, what do you try to, how do, how do you try to utilize him in the air? Oh, <laughs> it would be nice to, <laughs> to utilize him in the air. Uh, it's really instinctive, I would say. Okay. Um, and really competitive. Mm. I guess I'm not so competitive. Um, uh, so as I said before, uh, I have to approach the competition as a new lessons, not as a new competition because it doesn't work for me. Um, but for Manfred, it, it works in this way. He has to be, if he is prepared and he knows when he is prepared, he's really competitive and, uh, and very, and he's cold in the air, let's say. Mm. He, he knows how to choose, he knows where to stay. It's a very instinctive way to fly. Hmm. How does that, when, when he's at a comp, the year's at, does it change how you fly? 
my way to fly? Yeah. When when he's when he's at a competition versus not at a competition, do you, you know, are you more aware of where Manfred is in terms of your strategy and you know, or do you try to stay with with him? Do you try to just treat him like anybody else? Uh no, of, of course you have a special con consideration mm -hmm. uh, among the, uh, along these uh, these pilots and also some other pilots because mm. there are some other very good pilots. Um, you have a different uh, consideration depending from the pilots you are flying with, of course. Mm. Um, but uh, yes, sometimes we we are human. Everybody is human, and so sometimes also Manfred made some mistakes. So. Sure. Yeah. When you look back at your career, uh, flying all these decades, '88, uh, you said. Yeah. Um, if you could rewind the clock back to your 16-year-old self, your 50-hour self, approximately, what advice would you give that Christian after all these years in terms of anything, safety, racing, studying? Uh. Uh, especially, <laughs> probably studying. Studying is never enough. Mm. Um, and I would say to not fly a couple of in a couple of days, <laughs> <laughs> because I had a couple of tumbling in my career. Mm. The one, the, the first one was kind of easy, let's say, to recover because uh, uh, I timed it because I badly uh, managed my glider. I tuned in a bad way. Mm. I didn't have experience on that time. And I lowered the sprout completely. I, it was 97, just two years uh, before the arriving of topless gliding into the, the scenery, the, mm -hmm. the world the of fun gliding. Um, and so there was a reason for the tumbling and it was kind of easy to, to go to go to continue to fly. Mm. But last year when I tumbled for the second time, it was different because I was in an, the right place, they say, not uh, downwind or anything. Uh, there is not, there was not a um, uh, strong wind. Uh, Thermal were kind of normal, let's say. The only one thing that was out of order was uh, the, um, the weather forecast predict uh, strong wind shear. Uh, close to the mountain and uh, but you know we fly every day that is stable if there is not a special wind a special situation that you consider extremely dangerous so uh, on that day I just tumbled because it was the right spot in the wrong moment mm. <laughs> so I, I would I would prefer to not fly on that day <laughs> 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 Avoid the bad days. Yeah. Did you throw your reserve? Yeah, both. Both, True. and it, it the worked first out. One, the first one didn't open properly, and the second one did it. So this is why we are making this interview today. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, because uh, you know, if the parachute doesn't work, yeah, there is not much. Uh, did you save the the hang glider, or did it fold? No. It, it destroyed. I was kind of low on the mountain, uh, about. Uh, 250 meters above the the ground and uh, the tumbling was just mm. very very fast um, on the first fraction of a second uh, uh, I felt the bar going away 
but uh, the bar, the, the control bar was still in my hand. And the second fraction of a second, I didn't realize that I lost the bar, mm. but the bar wasn't there. And so I had to do the parachute immediately. I didn't have time to wait to see if something uh, was possible to do to recover in a different way because the ground was too close. Mm. So I opened the first chute and um, and I felt uh, something wrong because I, I didn't feel the drag of the chute and uh, the glider tried to uh, start to spin and after a few seconds uh, I threw the second parachute and it opens properly but the landing was kind of hard anyway. Mm. I land on my feet but... You're okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. But... Uh, for a few days, it wasn't so, so nice to walk around. <laughs> have you have you had an accident? Have you had an accident? Have you been hurt hang gliding? Uh, yes. Not really seriously. Mm. Never seriously. Mm. Is your approach to risk um, different now than it was now, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Uh, I guess so. Um I was more uh, inclined to may, maybe to risk a little more some days, just because you know that it's difficult to get hard to to get wrong. But now I'm a little bit more conservative about that. Um, when you say Manfred is really competitive, um, define that. What what do you mean? Like he 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 just really wants to win. So he yeah. prepares differently or uh, approaches it differently or? He's uh, not a pilot who uh, want to stay second or third. Mm. If he knows that he cannot win, he, he will not compete, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just wants to win. Yeah. We should get him in the X Alps. <laughs> you have to ask him, but I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um what would you say to uh, the the listeners? You know, we have a lot of hang listeners, hanging listeners, but we also we have many more paragliding listeners. Um, what would you say to them uh, inter- if they're thinking about getting into hang gliding? What would be what would be the approach? What would be the what are what are they are waiting for? No, they're, they're, yeah, okay, that's good. <laughs> Stop waiting, just do it. <laughs> right. Um, but the, what would, what would be the best way to approach getting into hang gliding? Just like paragliding, I guess yeah, you have to go to a school and, uh, start a course. And, uh, as a, f- as for the paraglider, you don't need to, you don't have to race yourself. You have to improve day by day without, uh, uh, risky, without keep, uh, waiting that your experience grow with you mm. you don't have to run anyway mm. anywhere mm. so what are, what but are yes i guess do if it. somebody want to do he has to do yeah. because as we said here um you never see a eagle flying with a house in front of him. <laughs> 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 sorry <laughs> <but> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> when you another, another uh, I made a question for, for to who asked me why to fly paraglider or hang glider, and it is how you dream to fly. Mm-hmm. 
you're doing to fly seated or prone? Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Do you want to fly like a bird or do you want to fly like a, <laughs> an eagle facing backwards, his ass backwards? <laughs> um, when you when you imagine uh, your life in five, ten years and flying, what do you what's your vision? What what what's your what's your goal? To have uh, easier and safer wings. Mm. Especially after the accident of last year, um, it would be nice to be in the air and say, "Okay, the, the parachute is just an option. Today is not an option. It's something you have to to have with you, and it, it, sometimes it's not necessary to use. It's re- really rare. It's never happened, but when it happens, you have to to have it." Mm. Um, and so the idea is to to get safer and easier wings to fly. Mm. And what about for you with uh in competitions or you know in improving is that really important or is this something you do just for fun? I still like competing and um it's a good way to fly I guess because of course it's good to it's nice and I like a lot to make cross country flights. And even to make some uh, evening flight is nice. But uh, to compete, uh, you have the opportunity to to share the, the experience with the friends. Also during a cross-country flight, you can share the experience with a friend. But when you are in here for a cross-country flight, sometimes the target uh, changed. I mean, you start uh, to with the decision to reach a goal and during the day, you see that the goal is not uh, reachable or there is a better goal uh, to, to reach, and you decide for, for another another flight. And your friend uh, maybe doesn't know or maybe doesn't follow you or he, he don't want to follow you. During a competition, everybody has one single goal and you share this experience for mm. all day. Mm. This is why I like to compete. When you look back at the, since since you learned how to fly, um, I'm assuming like everyone, there's been some times where you're not maybe as motivated. You know, it kind of comes up and goes down like we fly. Um, how do you, how have you handled the times that you don't have as much motivation or passion, or maybe uh, it's just you're, you're uh, tired of it? Um. I guess you, it's, it's a natural part of the life, a natural part of the, the, the flying experience. So uh, I would say that there is not really a need to, to force to fly when you don't feel uh, the, the, the need to fly. I guess the, 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 the worst thing you can do is to be in the air, like the, the way to say the worst thing to do is to be in the air with the the, the, the need to be on ground. Mm. So, yeah, if you don't have to do but because you are working or because you are a test pilot, uh, I would say just keep your time and wait. Because even it can, it can be also dangerous if you are in the air and you don't have the mind, the, the head to, to fly. 
you are not uh, ready to fly. So, was there any kind of? Uh, I don't know what if this would be the, the the words that would make sense for you in Italian. But the after your tumble after that accident, was there uh, any kind of fear injury that went with that? By, by fear injury, I mean like in the next flights after that, were you more? Did it take you some time to get yeah, back sure. to? Yeah, sure. It's a kind of long process, mm. Can, uh, especially especially because. Um, on the second time, it happens uh, with a normal glider, with a standard configuration, and uh, you understand that it, it can happen in many different situations. So, um, without the, the specific re reason I had on the, on the first time, and so yes, it's uh, you are you are a little bit more stressed from some turbulence, some. Some, uh, when, when you know that you are approaching a lee side of a mountain, it's going to be more difficult, of course. When I um, I recently had a podcast with Wolfgang Seiss. Uh, we, we haven't released it yet, but by the time this is out, people will have heard that one. And he talked about his tumble that he had in Elsinore, which is all on film. It's a, I don't know if you've seen it. It's, yeah, I've seen it. It's terrifying. Um, it, he said it took him about four years, really, to get over that um do you did you do anything specific to help that getting over that um no i guess the best thing to do is to fly mm. confidence you need to get the confidence again mm. and it takes time and the more you fly the the easier it is mm. I didn't know. I didn't remember that it was already four years that uh, was yeah. Tumbling. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was. I was surprised with that too. And, and he said that it really. It's uh, for a long time he would be like leading a comp or you know doing quite well, and then it would be a little something that you know he'd get a little bump, and he and he didn't realize it, but he would just go on a really bad line and land, and then he'd be in the field and go, what, what, what the hell, what. What did I just do? Why did I do that? You know, it, and he said, you know, the kind of turbulence that before would not have even been turbulence. It would have yeah. been, you know, it just scared him out of the air over and yeah. over. It was really quite a long time to get the confidence back. Yeah. He he said the best thing for him was like flying in, in Valle with a lot of other people or flying in competitions where he could rec see that, well, wait a minute, it's, yeah. it's not scaring all of them. It shouldn't scare me. And it really helped to fly with friends, fly with other people. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, when you fly by yourself, uh, it's difficult to evaluate if the turbulence you are finding is too strong or not. Because you are by yourself and you don't know if somebody else uh, would fly or not in that condition. Mm. But when you are in a competition, you have uh, different people to, to watch. And if they stay in the air, most of the time, not always, sometimes there are very crazy people. <laughs> but most of the time, uh, you can stay there too. So, yeah, mm. I agree. The competition, flying in, flying a lot, and especially in competition, helps a lot. What, what kind of flying most interests you now, after all these, these years? For several years, when I started to fly to, to work here in Icar in 2001, for several years I didn't have the opportunity, let's say, of, uh, of flying in uh, by myself cross-country competition because I was also teaching in the school and competing. 
So my flying, my flying was a test flying, a competition flight. Uh, for the rest, I didn't have time for the cross-country flight. But now I'm motivated for cross-country flight, especially before the tumbling. Mm. I was mm. trying to make some very good flights. Now I'm, yeah, I have to work on, on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's end it on another eagle-like story. What's another story uh, of flying that really sits with you? Flying-wise, uh, I had uh, a very good uh, task flying uh, fly the flew with the uh, Alex Bloner mm. that I remember because the conditions were uh, very unstable with a covered uh, sky, uh, so the conditions were smooth and good uh, almost everywhere. And we we had some tens of kilometers uh, together into around the clouds and it was kind of nice mm. um, and non-flying wise uh, I guess uh, yeah some dinner after after <laughs> after competition are very very nice yeah. <laughs> singing uh, karaoke <laughs> with a drinky friend <laughs> drunk friends <laughs> and my father said that we were on one of this this dinner my was the Italian national in 2004 and I was singing something I don't remember something like uh, Vagabondo <laughs> of an um, uh, Italian group and there was uh, there was my father and uh, there was also my mother and my father said look at Christian he think that he can sing really <laughs> <laughs> he can't sing <laughs> You must have been, if you're like me, you must have been very drunk because the only time I open my mouth to sing is when I'm really hammered. Uh, Christian, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and sharing your stories, some of them, and uh, wish you the best of luck here. And I hope to be able to come back and see you after the race. Uh, but thank you for your support there in the past. And just thank you, period. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I wish you the best possible result in the next competition in the XOPS. Thank you. No pressure, no pressure. Be careful. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out we put a new show out every two weeks so for example if you did a buck a show and every two weeks it'd be about 25 dollars a year so way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible uh, i do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors we get asked about that 
uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we try to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you